So just to reiterate again, next week we're looking at week seven, a land given by grace, uh, and your homework is chapter nine, verse one to chapter 11, verse 32. So it's a couple of chapters. Interesting chapters we've been looking at this week. Um, let's see what God does through his word. Let's just come before the Lord as we open his word to us. Lord, thank you that we could gather around your table this morning. Thank you that it reminds us in a very practical, everyday way that Jesus Christ died for us, that he made a way for us to our Father, and also he gave us hope for all eternity. He took our sins away from us both in the past and into the future, until you come again. And Lord, thank you that these things were pointed to way back in the Old Testament. And Lord, as we study your word, may you use your word to equip us to understand your word better, so that we can trust you more so that we can serve you with all our energy. So thank you for your word. And as we come to your word, may we remember that it is the breathed out word of God. It is not just a book. May we put ourselves under your word and may we hear and have hearts that obey, we pray. Amen. So let's read together. We're not going to read, <coughs> you'll be glad to know, three chapters this morning. I want us just to go to chapter 8, and we're going to read this chapter together. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. The version I'm reading from is the Amplified Old Testament. So it just expands things a little bit. You can follow along in your Bibles. All the commandments that I command you this day, you shall be watchful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall earnestly remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your mind and heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you recognize and personally know that man does not live by bread only, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not become old upon you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You also know in your mind and heart that as a man disciplines and instructs his son, so the Lord your God disciplines and instructs you. 
So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and reverently fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you shall eat food without shortage and lack nothing in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for all the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his precepts, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, there's a common word there, right? Then your mind and heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, but who brought you forth water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. And beware lest you say in your mind and heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. But you shall earnestly remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as at this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Like the nations which the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. That's quite a passage. There's a little illustration I want to start this morning, and uh, it's a little video clip, and if you know me, you'll know why. Electricity in engines is changing everything, right? From your bicycle to your aeroplane. Well, we're looking at the whole topic this morning of tests of faith. Now, for some of you, if, you're, if our local airline took off and then you did that, it would be a test of faith to you, Right? For me, I love that. But that's why that photo's up there. You see, we're looking at testing today. How the Lord tests us. And the illustration here is of an aircraft being tested. Why do they put a new aircraft like that one from NASA? Why do they put it through extreme tests? Why do they put it through extreme speeds? Speeds it would never normally go. Slower speeds than it would normally go. Why? Why do they give it that absurdly thin wing, which has hardly any lift at all? And then they go and fix electric motors to it with propellers that fold out the way. That's scary. Why do they put it into abnormal attitudes that you would never do in the aircraft normally? Why do they put it through extreme stresses? 
Well, it's to prove the engineers right. You see, engineers do all those calculations, and on pieces of paper, they can prove that these things will work. But put that same engineer in the aircraft, and then put it through its paces, and then look at the engineer's face, right, Mr. Engineer? They put the aircraft through these tests to make sure that the reality lives through the theory. And then when they've proved that, they fix any design issues that have come up so that it's a better aircraft. And then they go and verify that with documentation, shreds of documentation. And then they announce to the public, to the user, this aircraft is now safe to use, please board. If they hadn't done that, what would you feel if you got up in an aircraft saw the little wing and then the propellers folded up. I'd be horrified. You see, it's really, really important that they put aircraft to the test so that they prove it for use. Now, all illustrations are not good, all right, because they never live up to full expectation. But the Lord tests us too as believers. He puts us into abnormal and extreme situations. Why? Is it because he's sadistic? Is it because he wants to prove how powerful he is and how weak we are? No, our God's not like that. He puts us into these abnormal and to in extreme situations to highlight to you and I what a great God he is in the midst of those conditions. To show you and I that this faith that we have in Him is real. That we can trust Him. To show us. To document to us. To prove to us. That faith works. And to encourage us in our faith. So that we will step out and trust Him in even bigger situations. I've kind of summed up what I want to say. So maybe I should sit down there. But that's where we're heading, right? That's why God tests us. He makes us stronger in life. And you know, God's done His calculations perfectly as our Creator. He hasn't made a mistake with His calculator. His calculations are perfect. He is our Creator. We need to trust Him. So let's see what happened to Israel. You see, the Lord took them through the wilderness. And this is when things were going horribly wrong for them in their eyes. I mean, who wants to go marching through a wilderness for 40 years? Why couldn't he take them through a place that's really nice? Why did they have to go through a desert place? Scorpions, rocks, hot sun, 50 degrees during the day. No water at times. An Egyptian army chasing them. Other nations wanting to annihilate them. Why? Why through a wilderness? Well, there were several lessons he wanted to highlight to them. And we, you and I, need to learn from these lessons too because they still apply to us now. He wanted to highlight to them, are you obedient to me? Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. This whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do 
that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. So that's where they're on their way to. The second generation of people. The first generation have died in the wilderness because of their sin before the Lord. He's now trying to give them lessons that they can learn from their past experience that they will need as they go into a good land. Second verse 2, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Here's the key. So that he might humble you, testing you to know what, it, what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. When God tests, that's what he is wanting to do with them. So what does this look like? You see, God wanted to test their obedience to them. And he refers specifically there to, if you go and look at, um, just go back to verse, chapter 6, verse 16, because we've got three chapters to cover this morning. Chapter 6, verse 16, he gives one instance of where he tested them. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. Now what happened at Massa? At Massa was where they were in the desert and there was no water. And they cried out to the Lord. And they became rebellious towards Moses. They wanted to stone Moses. And they wanted to come up in rebellion against God. Because here they were in the desert dying of thirst. What are you going to do, Moses? God has let us down. And God says, you were testing me. You were rebellious towards me. But I provided for you at Massa. Now... There's a difference between man testing God and God testing man. All right? When man tests God, it's a negative thing. And it usually has negative outcomes. And that word testing is when we put God to the test, when we disobey Him, and we, as it were, see how far we can push Him before He gets angry at us. When we don't listen to the promises He's given to to us when we don't trust him in those promises. And the result is usually that God has to discipline and correct. So that's when man tests God. But when God tests man, it's a different process. He puts us through difficult situations to prove us, to strengthen us, to get rid of sin in our lives. To show us that faith is real. He tests us. You see, in that aspect, it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's a good thing for us. Who would want to fly in an airplane that hadn't been tested? It's a good thing to be tested. And there's a question here. So, why does God test the Israelites? Why does He test us? The answer is in chapter 8, verse 2. It's to know what's in your heart. So the next question is, does God not know what's in my heart? Is God testing me so he can find out what's in my heart? No. It's the wrong sense of the term. God knows everything. And there are many, many, many verses in Scripture which says he's the all-knowing God. So it can't be that. So what is it then? It is so that he can show us what's in our hearts. Right? He can show us what's in our hearts. He knows everything. This word to know, the verb phrase here is the, the verb phrase yada. You don't need to know how to spell it. It's just Y-A-D-A, right? 
yada. And it means there's two aspects to it. To prove, as in to get rid of things that it's made stronger, to prove, to test, and to demonstrate, to bring to light so that observers can see. So that's what the word yada means. When God tests us, he yadas us. He strengthens us, he, he tests us, and also he demonstrates to us and to those who observe what's in our hearts. Yada. You see, God's not proving anything to himself. He knows the human heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I examine the mind. God knows our hearts. When Jesus was around in the New Testament, he knew what people were thinking. He knows the human heart. But it is for us to know what's in our hearts, and God shows us that. You see, God wanted to show the Israelites what was lurking in their hearts. He wanted to show the Israelites their level of commitment to him. You say you love me, but this is the reality when I put you under test. There's when it all comes out. And so testing is the method whereby commitment to God is exposed. And God's doing this for our good. He's not doing this to give us a negative scorecard with red pen. He's doing this to show us these are areas in your life that we need to look at. That you need to look at. He's improving us. So it's the method whereby God shows our level of commitment to him. And not just to us, but to those who are watching our lives. You see, our families watch us, our friends watch us, our colleagues watch us. When they see us going through hard times, when they see us, they can't read our hearts. They can see how we react to hard times. And when they see that even though this person is going through, man, if it was me, I would have folded. Even though going through hard times like that, they still trust God. That speaks volumes. That attracts them to the person, to the God who is in you. And so it, it shows, it tests, it improves us, but it also shows us, it brings to light. And it shows what is happening in our lives to those who observe our lives. So the question is, when things go wrong in our lives, when we go through the wilderness experience, are we still obedient to God and His Word? The second test when things go wrong, is are you humble and trusting of God? You see, why did Yahweh, God Almighty, why did He deprive them of food? Did He do a miscalculation of food supplies? Did He wake up one morning and say, Israelites, we'd better do something. Manna, I'd better make manna. I'll make manna. No. God is never caught by surprise. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God wanted to show them I am creator God in those negative circumstances. I will create something that neither you or your fathers have ever tasted. It was a brand new creation, manna. Adam had never tasted manna. This was brand new. God made manna for his nation in the middle of the desert. He was creator God. And he says to them, in the middle of your circumstances, when to you everything is wrong, I will create the solution. I am creator God. I am the all-powerful God. Yes, I know everything. I know your hearts. But I'm also the all-powerful God. I can create to make what you need. 
to fill those needs in that situation. And that's a kind of a rough definition of his grace to us. You see, God was teaching them by bringing them manna and quail in millions. He was teaching them to trust him and his promises to them. When he had taken them out of Egypt, he had promised, I will be with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will care for you. And so he brings them manna and birds to feed them. And when they go and misuse the situation, he said to them, I want you to collect enough for the Sabbath so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath, one of my commands. And those who didn't listen to God, what happened? The food all went bad. Why? Because it was perishable? Didn't have a good use-by date on it? No. Because they were disobedient. It was God's hand teaching them again. Listen to me. Trust me. You think it's not enough for, for that day? I will provide for you. I am creator God. You see, the lesson here is that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's that? His promises to us. We live by his promises to us. Yes, God supplies our need. Yes, I need my steak and my chips and all. No, uh, my health food. I need those things. To survive every day. But that's not what's important. I must live by the promises of God. He promises to give me those good things. I need to trust Him in that. If God says it, believe it. If He says it in His Word, believe it. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are showing you. Believe His Word and the principles we find in His Word. That's His Word to you this morning. Trust God at His Word. You see, when we get into difficult times, we've got too many ifs and buts. We look at the wind and the waves around us and say, Oh, how much? Ifs and buts. Trust God at His Word. He has said, I'm the all-knowing God. I'm the all-powerful God. I am your provider. Jehovah, God of the armies, Jireh, I provide for your needs. Your situation is not too large for the, for the Lord. Your situation is the making of the Lord. He has put you in that situation. Would he be out of control? He's almighty, creator, all-knowing God, the all-powerful creator of the universe. You see, we forget that too quickly because we look at our little world around us. So there's a second lesson when things go wrong. Are you obedient? Are you humble and trusting of God and His promises? And thirdly, under that, when things go wrong for you, are you hearing His voice of discipline? You see, sometimes part of our testing is the discipline of the Lord. Now, immediately when we hear the word discipline, we think negative. Why? Because when my dad disciplined me, I know it was not a pleasant experience. He was really good. Six boys, he needed to be good. You see, discipline to us is a negative thing. But discipline is actually a very positive thing. Why? Because it trains us. Discipline trains. You're going this way? No, don't go this way. Go this way. And you need a bit of help with that. And once that's established, we go in the right way. That's what real discipline is. It's not getting back at someone. It's not smacking someone without thinking about it. It is disciplining you see, our language has given it a negative connotation today. 
It's actually a really positive thing. So when you come into difficult circumstances, you need to ask yourself, is the Lord disciplining me in this positive? Is He training me through this experience? Why? Because the image given to us in verses 4 to 6, look at this. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot didn't even swell those 40 years. You ask any physician sitting here what happens when you walk in a hot place. Your feet swell. See it here on summer days, even though it's not that hot. But they were walking in the desert. Even their feet didn't swell up. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So what's the image given here? It's the image of God the Father looking after those he loves. He was disciplining them. He was teaching them. He was caring for them. Why? Because he loves them. Proverbs chapter 3. We've looked at the book of Proverbs already, but Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 to 12. Listen to what it says. God's word to us. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. Why? For the Lord reproves him who he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Do you really love someone if you see them going off track and you just let it happen? No, you actually hate that person. The Lord loves us. And so when we come into situations when to us everything seems to be going wrong we must ask ourselves am i obedient to the lord am i humble before him do i remember that i am but a human being his creator god do i trust his promises and am i hearing is there a lesson here for me god is teaching me all right that's when things go wrong in our lives that beautiful old hymn has these words how firm a foundation listen to these words i know roger likes his hymns here we go when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. When God puts us through difficult situations, He's stripping away from us the dross, the impurities of sin. Because he's making us stronger. He's testing us for his use. So what happens when things go right? We're out of the gloomy picture now. The rosy picture. Chapter 8 verse 7 to 18. The Canaan picture. God, they're, they're on the verge of going into, into the land of Canaan. The promised land. Wilderness is behind them. The Lord says, now take the lessons you've learned from the wilderness. And when you go into a place of plenty, the land of Canaan, which is right over there, you're seeing it now. Then you need to listen to these lessons and apply them. Why? And the reason was because much more danger was lying ahead than what had already come. Is that because God's glass is half empty? Is he just a glass half empty God? I'm going to give you these good things, but whoa, watch out. No, because God is a real God. He knows real hearts, real hearts that don't trust Him. And when the going gets good, those hearts stop trusting God. You see, when you look at those verses, and you can just glance over them with your eye, 
chapter, seven, chapter 8, verse 7 to 18, the land of Canaan, the question that comes to mind here to you and I and to the Israelites of the day was, are you forgetful, Israelites? When you come into the land of plenty, will you be forgetful of who I am and what I've done for you? You see, prosperity is a blessing and a faith hazard. You need to hear me today. We live in a land where life is not hard. It is very, very good. Prosperity is a blessing and a faith hazard. The rising statistics of people who no longer need God in their lives, who walk away because they're surviving. Thank you very much. It's good. We'll come back to that. The question is, are you forgetful? You see, Israel was going into this promised land with its wealth, its fertile farms. Now, if you're a farmer here, and I know there are a few, one or two here, one specifically, you know you really have to work at a farm, right? You can't just let a farm just get on. But here the Lord was giving them ready-made farms. The land had already been worked. The cattle and the sheep and all the stock were already on the lands. They were getting wealth. They were already in nations living there. The Canaanites, they'd already worked for their homes, built homes, got treasures together, got implements, got carts. The Israelites didn't need to do this. They'd just come out of the desert. And here before them is a land of prosperity, wealth, farms, livestock, ready-built houses. But the Lord says the threat's not going to be the Canaanite nations who are large and who can destroy you. The threat's going to be you if you don't trust me. And if you don't give me the thanks due to my name. It wasn't the Canaanites they were to fear. It was they themselves they had to fear in that situation. In the good. You see, in the midst of prosperity, and history would show after that, that Israel forgot their God. And that's why I had to take them out of that land again later in history. They forgot their God. They forgot that it was Yahweh, Almighty God, who had brought them into that land, who had helped them to destroy the enemies of that in that land. They forgot Him. And He had to take them out again into exile and teach them this lesson all over again. The test continues. And the question to you and I today is, in this land of ours and in your life, with, with whatever is in your life, when the going is going well, do you forget God? We do so quickly forget God. You see, the festival of harvests in Israel's history was a specific time when they were to remember the goodness of God to them and celebrate it. The Americans have got this thing called Thanksgiving. And it started off on, if you go and read the writings, the historic writings, it started off on the Jewish feasts. It started off on something which was good. It started off with people coming into a land which they had to break in. And then because their needs were supplied and their crops grew, they had to stop and give thanks to Almighty God, the pilgrims. Thank you, God, for helping us to bring these things about. Now it's become a drunken party where families get together, maybe. Gay parades happen. Do we forget God when things go well? I don't want to look at other countries, but I think there's reasons why America is where it is now. They've had it all so good, but they've forgotten God. And now look at it. 
New Zealand, take note. Are we forgetful? Are our leaders forgetful? Do they deny who God is? The one who makes this land so fruitful. And then the second thing that comes up when things go right is are you worshipping self? You see, the first thing that comes up is I've done this because it's so easy. And the, the, the bad thing is that success can be more tragic than failure. Success can be more tragic than failure, especially if it leads us to forget about God and if it results in pride, smugness, self-sufficiency. When things are going our way, we don't need God because I've done it. Donna Summer, oh, most of you won't know who that is anymore. Donna Summer sang the song. She works hard for the money, so hard. Oh, I've forgotten the words now. So hard for it, honey. She works hard for the money, so you'd better treat her right. You see, we get a bit like that in our attitude toward God, don't we? God, I've worked hard for this. I deserve this. Treat me right. We might not say directly to him, but our actions might show. How do it, what does that look like? You see, there's big achievements that come your way. If you're a person who uh, doesn't leave your money in the bank because you can't get anything there for it, um, let's say you've invested in the stock exchange. What's a good stock now? Air New Zealand. They're right at the bottom again. They've dipped and they're going to climb. All right, don't take that. I'm not a stock. But it, it's, let's see if I'm right. Okay? But maybe your stock exchange, the stock exchange has paid out and your, those stocks you invested in, man, you've reaped the dividend. And it's fantastic. I had a good investor, didn't I? Man, if I'd chosen that other guy, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Or there's that position you've had your eye on, and then that person's resigned. They've gone to Auckland because they have to. And now the boss came to you and you said, would you mind taking this position? I trust you. Let's see what happens. Fantastic. Or maybe you've been studying for that degree and you've been studying really well and you've done your MBA now and most people know that stands for it, it breaks up families because it's so hard. But you've studied for your MBA, you've achieved it and after how many years of studying, there it is, you're standing on that stage, doffed on the head and you've got your degree and you say, man, that took a lot of work. Or maybe your business that, that you've been trying to grow has, in the building boom that's been happening, has really taken off and, and you've had to employ extra staff and, and you know, it's because business is booming and I'm such a good business person. Or maybe you're a successful painter, an author, uh, whatever. And those two little words come to you, it's my success. Or maybe it's the smaller things in life. Maybe you've, you're 75 and you've passed your driver's license renewal again. And you kind of know what your driving's like. But. Or you've bought yourself a new e-bike, you're going around at 65 kilometers an hour, no helmet, and you haven't come off yet. Small achievements, right? And you think, yes, I can do it. You see, there's pride tied up in those words. 
And the test here is, when things are going well for us, will you give God praise for giving you the wits and the skills for all those accomplishments? God sees your heart. He sees your attitudes, even in the small things. I do a bit of singing, and one of the tests for singing, if you want to see if someone can really sing well, is ask them to sing real softly. Not bellow out like Pavarotti. He can sing real well, believe me. But he could, sorry. But if you want to know if someone can sing really well, give them a melody to sing really softly and see if they can keep in tune and do that with expertise. God sees our hearts even in the small things. Do you trust God when things are going well, even in the small things? And then verses 19 and 20, the last section of this chapter, is a sober warning in direct contrast. There's a sober warning here. Look at the words, chapter 19, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, that's a double warning, that you shall surely perish. But Lord, we're your nation. You shall surely perish if you disobey me. Now, take note, because it will explain chapter 7, which is a really difficult chapter. God annihilates whole nations. Why? Here's the answer. Verse 20. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall perish. Why? Here it is. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Why did, the, why did God destroy nations? Look, this is a whole sermon on its own, but we're not going there now, all right? Why did God destroy whole nations? Today we have a, a term for that. It's called genocide. Why did God allow that? It's for this reason. The nations knew the blessings of God, whether they acknowledged him or not. And they didn't give him his due. They experienced the sun in the morning, the rain on their fields. And they didn't give him his due. And to give a lesson to his nation, Israel, he had them destroy nations before them so that they would see this is what happens if you do not obey me. This is what happens if you do not give me the due for being your God. Take note, Israel, lest you perish. Take note, New Zealand. Take note, Wanganui Eastites, lest you perish. Give God his due when things are going well and when things are going wrong. Give him his due. What do we do with that? Well, here's three lessons for you, I think. One, two, three. Yep. First one is this. In our prayers, I'm going to try and be as practical as I can. When things are going well for us or going wrong, what do we do? We come before the Lord in prayer, right? That's what we do. So when we're sick, we pray, Lord, please make me well. When we're in need, we pray, God, please meet my needs. When we are grieving, Lord, please, please comfort our hearts. When we're in distress, Lord, I don't know how much more I can stand of this. Give me relief, Lord. Right? Those are good prayers. And the Lord wants us to come with those prayers, right? He said, come to me with anything that's on your heart. 
Cast my burdens on you and I will take them from you. But maybe those shouldn't be our first prayers. In light of what we've learned about God testing us and what testing is all about, maybe our first prayer should rather be, Lord, what are you teaching me in this situation? Maybe you want me to go through the sickness because you want to teach me to rely on you, to trust you. Maybe you want me to have this chronic disease because you want to teach me to hold on to you and to look to you for my hope and my sustenance every day. Maybe our first prayer should be, Lord, what are you teaching me? And the second prayer to follow up from that should be, Lord, how are you wanting me to grow in this situation? And then ask him for relief and to answer our prayers, right? Because the Lord is testing us. Testing is a good thing because the Lord loves us. Secondly, when things go really well and when things go badly, remember God. Chapter 8, verse 16, the second half of that. Look at what it says. I fed you in the wilderness. Your feet didn't uh, swell up. I gave you water in the desert. Why? So that I might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So when, when things are going well or when things are going badly, remember God. You see, God takes us out of our comfort zones to humble and to test us to do us good in the end. And when things go wrong from our perspectives, and when things go very right from our perspectives, remember God. Give Him His due. Give Him the honor due to His name. You see, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel on the cusp of going into Canaan. And these are some of the words he says to them. Listen to them. He says, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of the Canaanites. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. What situation do you find yourself in today, 2019? The Lord says, be strong and courageous. I will be there for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. When things are going so well, you don't know what to do with all the blessings. Remember the Lord your God. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous in, in still trusting Him. Keep a small head before a very large God. Keep a small head before a very large God. And then lastly, there's hope through faith for us. When the Lord tests us, it's a faith lesson to you and I. And He wants to give us hope through that faith lesson. I had to get into the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. We're going to read a few verses from this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verses 3 to 7. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you in the future. We're getting there. The land of Canaan. Who, you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice. What? He's going to explain that now. In all these things you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whether things are going badly for you, whether it's going really well, give God His due. Make His name great. Because that is looking to the future too. Yes, for now, you might suffer for a little while. What's this little while compared to eternity? Persevere through Jesus Christ, the one who made hope possible for you. You see, therein lies our hope in 2019. God himself, Jehovah, the all-knowing, the all-powerful God, is the one who guards you and I now and into the future. Praise be his name. Let's pray. Lord, our heavenly Father, yes, we can call you our Father. Thank you that despite everything happening in our lives, you know as the all-knowing God, what you're putting us through. And Lord, when things get going so well for us that we wonder why, why is everything just multiplying for me? We know why. That's also your doing. And you are testing us to see whether we still will trust you. Lord, may we be found to be trusting of God and to be giving you your due as creator God in all circumstances. Why? Because we know that your grace is sufficient for us. Whether in the good or the bad, your grace is sufficient for us. May we never look beyond that grace. May we never look beyond that grace to our fears. May we never look beyond that grace to our pride. May we hold on to your grace alone poured out on us and the prayer on our hearts even though it's a hard prayer is lord test us test us lord so that we can be made to be like your son and so that you can use us to extend your kingdom here in this place and wherever you might send us test us lord through your grace and your mercy supplied to us we will stand. Amen. As we close this morning, listen to God's word as our prayer. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him, who alone is God, our Savior, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time, in the present, and beyond all time. Amen.